Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you again for this day. What an honor for me to stand here, Lord, in front of these brothers and sisters and people that love you to share your word, Lord. And so I need your help today, Lord, that you would separate soul and spirit even right now. Anything that needs to fall away now in the flesh, Lord, just let what's from the spirit remain. I thank you for your word that gives light, Lord. And so I ask that you would reveal the light to us and in us, Lord. I pray for wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you this morning, Lord. I pray that you would pour out that spirit. I pray a binding of all the work of the enemy in this room right now. Every distracting spirit, I pray it be bound up in Jesus' name. Every lying spirit, I just pray for freedom for these people right now, Lord. To hear not my words, but your word, Lord. You're the great teacher, Holy Spirit. And so teach us now, we pray, as we submit ourselves to your word and submit ourselves to your teaching, just enlighten us, God. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus, amen. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15 and reading through verse 20. If your brother or sister sins, Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Don't associate with them like you would anyone else in the church, but associate with them like you would someone in the world. Love them, but you're preaching the gospel to them when you're around them. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about Anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. I have been touched this week, again, freshly, by the call to prayer and the reminder of the power and authority we have in the place of prayer. And all the weapons of the enemy and all the warfare of hell comes against us exercising the keys of the kingdom that we have here. I have been reading through this precious little book, again, called The Prayer Ministry of the Church by Watchman Nee. And I'm going to be talking about a few things he says in this book here to you this morning because I think it's so vital for this season of life we're in. Who would agree that the world and the world system is getting worse rather than better? Everyone agree with me about that? There are not very good days ahead for the people in the world system. The darkness is getting darker. The call to prayer is at the highest level I think I've ever sensed it before. And the response to prayer, I don't know about you, but sometimes feels like it's at a low ebb. The flame is barely still alive 
but we know we're supposed to pray. We all feel it. We all want to pray more, and we've all dealt with successes and failures in prayer. I want to talk about that just a little bit today. Sam talked last week about the letter that he wrote to the church in El Dorado. Who was here for that, by the way? I'm going to hit on a few of those high points uh, to kind of sum up and, and jump off what he said. But we talked about the fact that in the book of Revelation, um, there were seven letters written to the churches. And so we're obviously not associating the letter that Sam wrote last week with the Bible, but it is the word of the Lord to us here. So he said a couple of things. El Dorado was the starting place of a move that will bless the state of Kansas and the nations. Just like there was an oil boom back in 1918 through the late teens and 20s, naturally there will be an oil boom in the spirit here from El Dorado. It's made to bless the war effort. It's where the air capital came from, city of Wichita. But El Dorado must take the place of weakness and sacrifice in order to be that blessing. Weakness is God's ordained place so that he gets maximum glory. Because as he told Paul, when you are weak, then you are strong. When we're weak, the power of God tabernacles over us. When we're strong, we get credit for being strong. When we're weak, God gets credit for being strong through us. And that's the way he likes to do things. And that's uh, difficult for us, but that's the call that we have here in El Dorado. So we're invited into this place of weakness of prayer. We all know prayer is powerful, but to the human mind, it seems like it's a, a weak thing to do. It's like, okay, let's do everything else, and then we'll pray. Let's make sure we exhaust all of our natural efforts, and then we'll pray, because God gave us common sense and a mind that we're supposed to use, is the argument that's often used there. But instead, God says, pray first, and then I'll show you what to do after. An hour in prayer is more effective than 10 years of working hard on our own. So, new life is bearing a testimony here in El Dorado. New Life is not the church in El Dorado. New Life is part of the church in El Dorado. But us, we as a group here, are bearing a testimony and a privilege and a princely call of prayer. We've said this for many years now. It's tough to get away from this assignment because the Lord keeps on bringing it to the front over and over again. In terms of prayer... He said it's more than a set of meetings, but it's a culture of prayer here in El Dorado. In terms of service, he said servants are greatest in the kingdom of heaven, so the greatness of the gospel will be seen if we stay in the place of being servant leaders. And then thirdly, he said in the place of community that we're called to, spirit-led family community, not a business, has yet to be seen here in the city of El Dorado and beyond. And we're to be forerunners demonstrating what does spirit-led family and community look like. Because his greatest work happens not necessarily here on Sunday mornings. His greatest work happens in the marketplace where you all work eight hours a day or in your homes where you spend all day with your family and your kids or out on the streets or at gas stations where you're meeting people. That's where the work is meant to flow. So new life is called to prayer, to service, and to community is what he said. Those three things are our mandates. And I want to walk those things out well, and I don't know how to do that, but the Holy Spirit does. So I want to talk about this first one today, prayer. We can deal with community and we can deal with service after that. But prayer is our primary call. 
One of the quotes that Nee says in this book here is that the church's noblest work, the greatest task she can undertake is to be the outlet for God's will. And for the church to be the outlet of God's will is for her to pray. Say that one more time. The church's noblest work, the greatest task she can undertake is to be the outlet for God's will. And for the church to be that outlet for God's will is for her to pray. There are so many gallons in Eldorado Lake. I don't know, billions? Billions of gallons of water in Eldorado Lake. The water tower, just a block or so away, has so many hundreds of thousands of gallons of water in it. There is an intense amount of pressure put on those little half-inch water lines or three-quarter water lines coming into my house. Anybody ever seen a high-pressure water line break? So much pressure put on that. But every once in a while, when I turn on my faucet in the bathroom or the kitchen, it's just a, a little dribble. Why is that? It's not a problem with the lake. It's not a problem with the water tower. The lines have all kinds of pressure. There's some blockage there, isn't there? A little blockage on that screen, maybe, or something, something's wrong with the faucet. It has everything to do with the flow in my house. It doesn't have anything to do with the resource. God's promises to us and his power to us is unlimited. Pretend the Eldorado Lake is the oceans of all the world. There's no problem with his power. There's no problem with the pressure he's put on his word to accomplish his promise. The problem lies with us. So we can go to the bank. If I had, uh, let's say, Bert Anderson, uh, the world-famous Eldorado banker, stood up and said, I bequeath all of you here today, each person to the man gets a million dollars, and I've deposited it for you, Community National Bank down on Main Street. Here's your checkbook. Everybody gets a checkbook, and everybody gets a million dollars. Happy day. Let's go to Beijing. It's the nicest place I could think of. We show up tomorrow morning. However much you want. You want a million? You want nine? You want a half a million? You want 10 bucks? Whatever it is. And man, we're just standing in line. The bank opens at nine o'clock. We're just stroking those checks, man. And we walk up to the counter, and Bert's assistant lady stands there with a big smile on her face. I come up with my check, and I slide it across the counter, and she goes, how have you been acting this week? Oh, uh, not very good. Have you been reading your Bible? Uh, I guess. Very much? No. All right. You know what? I'm going to take my check. I'll be back. So we show up in the place of prayer to get these massive promises that we have access to, and the enemy tempts us. How are you doing? How are you doing? Who are you to come here today, cash that check? It's like, oh, man. And we don't transact business at the bank. And we leave, and our inheritance is there. And everything good that we can do with that money is wasted because we have chosen not to exercise the keys of the kingdom. We've chosen not to exercise our authority. I'm telling you, church, this is the battle we're in right now. The other option is we show up to the bank to cash the check, and there's a big jumbotron 
with a movie on the screen. Like, oh, I've been wanting to watch that movie for a while. And we sit there and watch that movie. And the bank closes at five o'clock. Ah, shoot, I'll be back tomorrow. And we show up and we do it again. We're distracted. Lots of different options for us why we don't cash that check. But I'm telling you guys, if we will have our eyes open to see the massive resource at our disposal and the massive impact we can have in our city, we will pray. One, one view behind the curtain to see what's happened in the heavenly realms and we'll pray. But there's warfare against it. So I'm pleading with you guys to ask the Lord not to make you better. Please don't ask him to do that. Ask him to open your eyes. Let me see the reality of what's going on, Lord. Let me know your will, because when we know God's will, we pray God's will. God's will is accomplished on the earth. So, Matthew 18 has, in verses 15 through 17, a specific case of a brother who has sinned against us. We're to go to that guy, tell him his fault. If he doesn't listen, we take two or three. If he doesn't listen, we talk to the church. If he still doesn't listen, we treat him as a Gentile or an unbeliever. But verses 18 through 20 deal with the general principle. How you deal with the specific case in the previous verses is based on the general principle of what's found in verses 18 through 20. And what's the general principle of verse 18 through 20? That the action on the earth precedes the action in heaven. Earth binds first, and then heaven binds. Earth looses first, and then heaven looses. So the principle with that brother who had sinned against us was that his actions needed to be bound up in the church. He was speaking malicious gossip. He was sinning against them, and he needed to be confronted maybe about his fault. That needed to be bound up because it was the work of the enemy. The principle of 18 through 20 applies to the specific case of 15 through 17. Does that make sense? So the principle that we have in front of us is that everything that contradicts God's will on the planet should be bound up. And everything that is in agreement with God's will on the planet should be loosed. It's a very, very simple principle. But earth governs heaven. Now, before you get into calling me a, a blasphemer for saying that, let me, let me unpack that just a little bit because I, I think there's really good examples of that throughout Scripture. Let's talk, first of all, about the Old Testament example of when the Israelites were fighting the Amalekites, when we have Moses standing on top of the hill and jo Joshua and the whole Israelite army were going against them. Moses put his hands in the air, and what happened? They were winning. Moses got tired. Hands down. Amalekites started winning. Moses' hands back up. Israelites win. Hands down, Amalekites started winning. Pretty much Pretty soon after that, Aaron and Hur come up and they hold Moses' arms in the air until the victory was complete. Now hold on just a second. Who decided who was winning, God or Moses? Yes, absolutely. Who decides who's winning in El Dorado, God or us? Yes, absolutely. All kinds of stories in the scriptures where God has chosen to relegate himself in this thing that we call time, and he has given us authority to bind and loose. 
Whether we do that or not does not affect the long-term plan that God will inherit the nations, but it does affect the timing, and it does affect those around us in their lives. Whether we do that or not, whether we choose to exercise that or not, has everything to do with our community. We cannot make God do what He does not want to do. It's impossible for us to do this. However, we can hinder Him from bringing His wishes to bear. For instance, anything God, anyone think God is in favor of child abuse? Absolutely not. But through the Pregnancy Family Resource Center and, family and working in family dynamics and prayer and counseling, we're teaching families, PFRC and crew, are teaching families how to have godly homes and kingdom environments so there's no physical or emotional or sexual abuse of children. That's a good thing. Praise the Lord for the PFRC, and we can name a hundred other ways this happens. If that's not there, then those things continue, and that's not God's will. I don't believe God wants that to happen. So God has chosen to restrain himself and wait upon us to ask him to do what he already desires to do. Let your kingdom come. That's what I want to do anyway, so I'm going to bring my kingdom to earth. Let your will be done. That's the way it is in heaven, so that's the way it's going to be on earth now. Whenever we pray that, we're doing something God already wants to do, but we have to know his will first. Psalms 115 verse 16 says, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. What an amazing verse that is. God gave Adam authority on the earth. Adam gave his authority to weigh to Satan, to the God of this age who was blind in the minds of unbelievers. Jesus came back and got all authority in heaven and on earth back, and he gave it to us in Christ Jesus. Now we can exercise that same authority. One way or the other, the earth is the battleground. God has given the earth to the children of mankind. He owns the heavens. So man has a free will. When man's will doesn't line up with God's, God's will is then restricted. It doesn't mean man overrules God. I'm not saying that. But God's will is restricted because he has chosen to create this thing called time in which his will can either be accomplished or delayed. Because he wants willingness on man's part and not robots. He's not pleased. Why would I? Stay still. See what I just did? That book stayed absolutely still because I told it to. It brings me no pleasure that this book knows how to stay still. But if I got a dog, and I'm like, sit and I teach him how to sit. There's something in me that enjoys having that type of relationship where there's an honoring of my word. Same thing with kids. Kids, Asher, don't start doing crack cocaine at 13 years old, okay? Yeah, he's thinking about it. <laughs> I can't put him in a box to not do that. I don't want him to take Bill's path, right? The Lord redeemed that. I don't want him to do that. Bill doesn't want him to do that. There's a lot of heartache there. Don't do it. But if I lock him in a cage so he doesn't do it, what point is that? The Lord is looking for our willing cooperation. He's looking for lovers of his heart that will accomplish his will on the earth. He wants the element of free will. So man either allows or hinders God's will on earth, not ultimately because, again, the Lord will bring it to completion, but 2 Peter 3 says, we do hasten the day of the Lord. So I um, 
have to think about these things sometimes just by drawing them out, and I'm not an artist, but I think I got a picture here. I call it my time and eternity picture. It's the best way I could describe it, best way I could think about it. So um, over there at, at the very top, you have God, and he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, Revelations 22. God existed from before time and after time. He is. He, I am, he says. And then down at the bottom you have man. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end in Ecclesiastes. We're living in time, but he's done this wild thing where he put eternity in our heart. We know we're destined for something more than this life. We've got something to live for here. And, and even atheists understand this. They just can't put their, they can't wrap their minds around it. And there's, there's something missing in this life though. So we have eternity past where God was. In the beginning, John 1.1 was the word. This is before God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1.1. The word was with God and the word was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus' name was the word in the beginning. And Psalm says, Psalms 93.2 says, you were from all eternity. Wrap your mind around that if you can for a moment. God never, ever ceased to exist. He never didn't exist. He always existed. It's a wild thought. But then we get this thing called time that starts on the eternity line, the arrow that goes all the way across. Below that, in the middle of this, we have eternity. We have time, this earthly reality. And time started in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. And time gets all the way summed up at the end of the book in Revelation 21.6 where he says, it is done. The old order of things has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And after time, the book ends of time are finished, we slip into, all of us, everyone, slips into something called eternity future. And Ephesians says, in the coming ages, because we're in an age right now, but we're about to enter into another age, in the coming ages where God will show the incomparable riches of his grace, Ephesians 2.7, we're going to see how rich in love and grace and mercy he was in the coming ages. We'll look back in this time and see, oh, the billions of ways he was gracious to us we never saw. And then there's two types of people. There's people who will reign with him forever and ever, or there's people who will suffer conscious torment forever and ever in eternity future. Everybody knows this, I know. But look right in the middle. We have heavenly reality in eternity. God's will is always done in heaven. Satan shows up and reports to God in the book of Job. He's his lackey. The church has a divine opportunity for that red arrow to pull down heavenly realities into earthly realities in this little tiny short thing we have called time. 75 years, my parents just died at 86, 87 years old, might be 30 years, who knows. But we've got a limited amount of time to pull eternity down, heavenly reality, into this age. And that's what we're called to do. So we can, in this period called time that stands between 
two eternities, we can either bring God's will to bear or we can slack off and not cash the check or check out. God's movements in heaven must be agreed upon by the will of the church on earth. Remember the stories in the, in the scriptures, the cries reached heaven and God responded. Or the bowls in the book of Revelation, prayers of the saints got filled up and then the Lord spills the bowls over. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. All of the prayers on earth affect what gets poured out from heaven. So the earth pulls down, forcefully brings down the will of God in heaven by and through prayer. And this is work. We did this in worship, I believe. This includes worship. We're singing God's will. We're singing his praise. We're, we're making his praises known. We're declaring that God is going to rule on the earth as in heaven. But we must desire what he desires. The key is to know the will of God in prayer. Do you know God's will for your life? Paul prays over and over, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Is it just a roll of the dice for you this next week? Or do you know God's will? Are you called to be where you're at working? Or is it just a roll of the dice? Are, are you on mission for the Lord? Or is it just kind of whatever happens, happens? If we know God's will, we pray God's will. And when we pray God's will, the red air, the, it happens, comes straight down to the earth. But there's confusion. There's huge power at stake here. I don't know if you guys can see this. Everything in time is determined by what we pull down from eternal realities. So there's massive warfare against us doing this thing called prayer and seeking his face. Again, the water supply is huge, but the flow is limited to the size of the pipes in our house or to the flow in our house. We can't increase God's power, but we can squelch it. I think Becky Vandenberg had a, a vision and she was talking about the uh, pipeline. Maybe it was Dick Coons had that, the pipeline. Becky had something like this. But there was, there's a constriction that has happened in El Dorado, in the place of prayer. And it, El Dorado is made to flow into the work that's happening in Wichita, Kansas and beyond right now. But as El Dorado goes, we believe so goes the state of Kansas. And if I could be so bold to say, I believe it affects the nation and the nations. In this little tiny place, this little weak thing that we have going on here. I just believe the Lord wants to do something great. I'm going to read one quote uh, from this book here. Uh, how, how many are the things, how many are the things the Lord wants to bind up? How many are the things the Lord wants to accomplish? How many are the things which God wants to bind and loose in heaven? Many are the people and things that are contradictory to him. Not all these God expects to be bound. Many also are those people and things that are spiritual, valuable, profitable, sanctified, and being of God. And these he anticipates to be loosed. God has expectations for us to exercise the keys of the kingdom. And we have the option to do that or not.